Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman, and we have another exciting episode for you today. And this is one of the C-suite episodes that I had uh, recently rolled out where I try to bring on a guest that is from the other side of the selling table. Usually a lot of the guests and the topics, it's about how we sell. And uh, I've been trying to bring on and leverage my network to bring on some executives that that are on the receiving end of what we do and, and get some of their perspective. So my guest today is Candy Conway. And Candy served as a vice president of global operations at AT&T, where uh, she was supporting some of their cutting edge solutions across 36 countries. So big, big organization. And you know, part of what she had done during her tenure there is managed the digital transformation by implementing a single platform for all customer and internal interfaces you know, for over 5,000 employees and getting all of those people trained up on uh, some some new ways of doing things. And if you've ever worked in a big organization and you've been through this as a user, you know, this is not a small task. Uh, Candy also served as chief of staff for the CEO at AT&T Communications. So she gained some incredible insights and spent a lot of time at the table with the C-suite executives. So really excited uh, to hear some of um, Candy's lessons learned over the years. So Candy, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. So I, I gave a little bit of an intro there, but uh, you want to share a little bit more about your your background and kind of where you were at and where you're at now and give a little bit more insight. Sure. Happy to. So I spent 36 years, which is kind of unusual these days, right? I spent 36 years at the same company. The reason it didn't feel like the same, same company, because it started as Southwestern Bell Telephone, then SBC, and then, you know, AT&T. So lots of mergers, lots of acquisitions, had a lot of fun. There was a, a gentleman that I worked with on the merger with Pac Bell that happens to be John Stanky, who is now the CEO of AT&T. So you never know how all of that comes together. I thought, who is that man with that booming voice? You know, he's such a presence. And, uh, that's the man. He's now uh, AT&T's ch- uh, CEO. So it was an interesting, you know, mergers, acquisitions. I started as an outside plant engineer, engineer by degree, uh, calculating ohms of resistance in cable routes. Wasn't real exciting. I'm a little more of a people person than just sitting at a drafting desk. Uh, moved into the marketing organization as tech support. And then I actually did move into the sales position. Uh, so a techie in the sales positions, I had EDS, Shell Oil Company, some of our, several of our larger uh, uh, companies that we were our customers. And then spent majority of the rest of my career in operations. I love operations. I just really like it. You know, you mentioned going to a single platform. We did robotics process automation. All kinds of that stuff was just real exciting uh, for me. So I will draw a lot of my insights probably from the job you mentioned, Vice President of AT&T Global Operations, 
lots of uh, experience with uh, vendors in that capacity and and salespeople. And then also, when you ask questions about the C-suite and how they respond to some and what's the important things to see, I'll draw a lot from being the chief of staff for our CEO of AT&T Communications because I got to see what worked and what didn't work and, and things that were miserably didn't work. So, you know, hopefully can offer some things in that perspective. So a broad range of career, one company, but certainly a lot of different things. Yeah. Multiple jobs within that one company, I'm yeah. sure. So, so Candy, I, I don't know if there is such a thing, but what was uh, a typical day or week like for you as uh, you know, an executive leading a global team? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it varied, but I would say, Mostly you spent, I spent probably two thirds of my day in the people aspect. So managing that large of an organization, you're managing a lot of people, managing a lot of, you know, personalities and, and understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it. And are we, you know, right on our priorities? And then probably a third of my day, I tried to spend on being a visionary. What's coming next? What are our priorities? Do I have the organization in the right spot? Are we going in the right direction? You know, what kind of derails some of that a lot of times is projects. So, you know, big projects that come in, like we had a $100 million take challenge to take that much out of the business in our business segment. And that's $100 million sounds like a lot, but at at and in the business segment, it's sort of doable. And, you know, the partner and I spend a lot of time knowing those in that kind of capacity, you're spending a lot of time just, you know, eating up with the project. So I would say the majority, you know, two thirds of the time you're spending with your people, third of the time, you got to stay focused on what's in front of us and and keep people, you know, uh, pointed towards the vision and what's the strategy for the future. Yeah. So that's interesting. So I think one of the things I picked up there was, you know, a big chunk of your time outside of the people portion of the business, you were consumed with a pretty big project at any given yeah. point in time. Yeah. And and so, you know, from a sales perspective, I imagine if, you know, if somebody's trying to meet with you or call on you, either they're helping you with that project in some way or they're a distraction. You know, what was some of the experiences you had engaging with vendors that had some type of supporting role in that $100 million cost reduction project? Yeah, I had some fantastic ones. I had some really creative ones and I had some that, weren't so great, but you can imagine if you've got a challenge out there of a hundred million, any vendor that walked in, any salesperson that walked in and said, Hey, Candy, I think we can, you know, you've heard doc, Dr. Timmy talk about the power of one, 1%. If you even came in and said, I, I'm pretty sure I can save you 1%. I mean, let me, let me talk to you. It would grab my attention immediately because I'm already calculating. I need 6%. So if I can, you know, if they can get me 6% and I multiply it out, let me see if this is value. There's, you know, value in this. You know, we had some interesting vendors and perspectives during that $100 million challenge. One, talk about out of the box creative, came in and gave a pay for performance project. So they said, listen, we're going to, you know, we're going to save you this amount of money. We guarantee we're going to do it, but you don't even have to pay us until we do it. Right. So you can imagine the gnashing of teeth trying to figure out what the actual performance equal. Right. So the they metrics. got their pay. Yeah. Right. Right. The metrics, because that's how they got paid. 
but it was fantastic. And of course, that vendor, you know, we we wholeheartedly went in with that vendor because we thought, well, they're making an investment, we're making an investment. It was new and different and challenging. And it was a fantastic partnership. Ended up, you know, getting us a lot of the way there to that that hundred million. So yeah, I've seen some good and and that was really creative. And that, you know, grabs an executive's attention if you can bring something in like that. Yeah. So I imagine in order to be creative like that, they must have done, they probably had an existing relationship. But on top of that, they I'm sure they had done a ton of research and preparation in order to even generate that type of idea. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I, I think you and I had a conversation uh, briefly. And one of the things I think is so important is, and you can tell right away if the salesperson is prepared, if the vendor's prepared. And I call it the six P's, prior proper planning prevents poor performance, right? You know, just come in with, you got to come in prepared or you're going to lose that executive so quickly. And there's ways to grab their attention too. And, you know, I tell this story a lot that talk about impressive. And uh, this person became a trusted advisor, but they walked in and said, uh, happy anniversary. And I thought, happy anniversary. They had gone, my husband's in professional baseball. They had gone to his Wikipedia. They saw a little line at the bottom that had our date that we got married. And they uh, they picked up on that. I was so impressed by that. He could have he could have sold me anything after that because he had done his his work. Just a small example of being prepared, you know, at minimum, at minimum, know the priorities for example, AT&T. If you're going to come meet with me, know the big priorities because those big priorities filter to everybody in the organization. So at least know those at minimum and draw those, use those to draw me in. You know, I know you guys, it's real important and you have to report back to your shareholders on, you know, earnings per share. You guys play dividends. So I know that it's real important. You know, to so those things that at least they've done their homework, I think are very impressive, Chris. That's just table stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So when um when a, a vendor's reaching out, maybe for the first time, what um you know, what did what did you experience in terms of the kind of the ideal way they reached out and connected with you? I mean, was there something that worked, something that didn't, something you, you would recommend that you know a rep doesn't do or does more of? Yeah. I mean, the thing that turns you off the most is if you don't feel any connection. In other words, I'm calling on you. It feels like a cold call and it feels like the salesperson's trying to get across their product presentation. That falls so flat. I mean, you got to make a connection somehow. And if it's not through networking where somebody has already opened that door, because a lot with a lot of executives, you have to open doors. So you really need that networking and get that door open to that executive. But as soon as you get in there, you, you just need to make a connection and any product presentation will fall flat. All I need to know is that you understand my priorities. And if you can draw one or two of my priorities and you can find that from public information, if I'm a private company, you can find it from industry stats. You know, there's ways to find that information. Just do your homework and make a connection with me. And, and once you do that, then I'm a, then then the executive is more likely to listen. And and I will tell you my as much of an introvert as he was, my uh, CEO of AT&T Communications, he really liked to make connections. And what made the difference with him is when a salesperson came in and tried to connect with him. If he did, then he's going to listen. And you connect by not being selfish about the information you want to get across, but having 
found something that connects with that, do your homework. You know, just you can even go around to other people that know the person or know the anything that makes that connection. And salespeople are generally pretty good about that. It's just not they just don't always use it. Right. 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 So, well, that's, yeah. that was a yeah, that last point. I think it's such a great um, way of doing it. Right. There's other people within the organization that probably knows you or that executive. You know, just ask them. For sure. And there's so many stakeholders in the decision. You know, you can, you may know one stakeholder and you can help that executive with the other stakeholder. I mean, there's so many things that you can do that brings value, right? Instead of just, you know, what falls flat is just not making a connection, right? Yeah, yeah I'm curious. So uh, in your kind of your latter years there at AT&T and even what you're doing now with, with some of the executive uh, coaching and leadership coaching, what have you seen in terms of some of the changes in the trends on maybe how decisions are making or the number of stakeholders that are involved in any of these big projects? Yeah, I mean, um, and I saw that a lot when I was at AT&T, and I'm, I'm not so sure that, in fact, I think it has gotten exacerbated. Uh, there's even more stakeholders that are involved, right? Um, you know, you, those relationships that uh, you build um, in the company, across the company, all that network, just crucial to establishing all those decision points with those stakeholders. It's not easy. And you got to think through it. And and we go back to, I keep going back to being prepared. So what I'm going to go and take into the uh, CIO looks different than what I'm going to take in to the CMO, right? Or even the CFO. And I'll give you an example, just a fun example. Uh, we were flying. It was fun. Yes, we got to fly the corporate jet. That was just, that was probably some of the funnest part. I learned how to read tail numbers and who owns planes and all that stuff. And we were flying with our CFO. And he asked me about, I show Arabian horses. And he asked me about it. And he said, now, do you make any do you, you know, do you make any money? I, mean, I thought, I said, you know what? I'm going to end this conversation right now because you're going to think I am an idiot because we spend thousands for a $10 ribbon. It, there is no good financial strategy here. It is all sticking money in this big, you know, hole. So, you know, it's understanding. So would I ever have that conversation with CFO? No, but the CMO would probably go, the marketing guy would go, that's great. You get ribbons and you get all that stuff. Knowing your audience and what do you take to them? I would also say what I think has changed a little bit in the executive realm is there are leaders, and I think we talked about this briefly, that are innovation forward, right? So financial forward and innovation forward, finance forward, almost every leader is interested in finance, right? That's table stakes. But you've got a lot of these leaders that are very interested in being the first ad or out on that cutting edge, or they came from Silicon Valley, and that's what's most important to them is the innovation. So just understanding how to connect with that is really important. And it, it just really, and so any stakeholder that you deal with, understanding are they, obviously the CFO, you just better come in with all the numbers. And no, and another thing, Chris, is, you know, have your five whys. You know, you don't have to, when you present to an executive, it's very succinct, but know your five whys. If they start pushing you, 
make sure you can answer to deep levels because executives today, I've watched a lot of our executive vice presidents, senior vice presidents have now moved to other companies, technology companies as their CEOs. Some are startups, some are, you know, smaller companies, but these guys have great experience. They've gone to these other companies as, as CEOs. So I'm, you know, watching that how technical now CEOs are. You better know your five whys. They don't want to know it right off the bat and they may not ask it, but if they get to that level, you know, be prepared to do that. So again, it's, you know, that, that's, I think, some of the difference in executives. They're trending towards a little bit deeper in technology or, or understanding, a little deeper in their understanding of the business, right? They go deeper. So stay high, but be be able to go go deep. Yeah, they almost have to, and I imagine in a way, just with uh, the prevalence of technology and everything you do, it's, you know, we've gone from the old days of technology being a cost center to technology being an enabler, maybe part of your strategic go-to-market. So... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Katie, I'm curious. So let's say um, a, uh, a sales professional is able to get in contact with you. Maybe they have an initial discussion with you, maybe meet you, but there's, you know, there's no connection at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe down the road, there's, there's value. What would you recommend they do to stay engaged over time? How do they maintain that access? That's a great question, Chris, because I, I think back to there's probably three that come to mind that were my favorite trusted advisors that were salespeople, right? And what equals trusted advisor to me is outside of the sales process, they gave me information that was valuable. So they might call me and just say, hey, Candy, um, in another organization within AT&T, they're doing X. I think that's going to impact you. So I, this is another project that's going, that's going to impact you. Um, or, hey, I read in this trade rag about this technology. Are you, are you familiar with it? Are you up on it? Because I think this might be one something that's coming and we're looking at it, right? And I had, you know, one trusted advisor that started talking to me about robotics process automation and it was early, early in RPA. And I thought, you know, gosh, I, I don't know. This is kind of, is this risky? But I, I love living on the edge. And it turned out to be a fantastic partnership we had with that vendor and it saved us, you know, a, a lot of value. And not because, not because we, um, because we laid off employees, we didn't do any of that. We reallocated. I would watch these engineers just out of college that were doing cutting and pasting where robotics could do that. And then they could use their thinking skills, right? Because you don't want engineers, you know, you pay them too much to cut and paste, right? And there's no value, there's no fun in that job. So we teach them how to even write a plot, right? Those kind of things that vendors would bring outside of the sales process. Candy, maybe you want to think about this. If there's somebody that tells me I, I something I don't know, keeps me out of trouble, makes me a hero, those are all things an executive loves, right? And then that's where you get into that, you know, status of a long-term relationship. I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. 
Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Such a such a great. I mean, so many great points there. The the thing that I I, uh, I want to key in on is that uh, you know bringing you information about your own organization internally because right the bigger the company the more complex the more more divisions and groups and there's no possible way a senior exec or even a mid level exec knows everything that's going on and you may you may it you may get it wrong or maybe you don't uh, maybe they already know it. Maybe you don't have all the details, but I mean, whatever you're sharing, if you're sharing it and not expecting anything in return, it's just value, right? And you're going up a notch. Absolutely. And then when you come in to present me something, I'm listening. You already got me. I'm listening because you've already provided me good information. And and what I think what salespeople sometimes miss is that they assume that we know executives know everything or they assume that we've got vision into other departments within a large company. And we don't. We don't. In fact, we are so focused on our own priorities. I mentioned to you, a third of my day was, how do I get strategy to forward? The other three-fourths of the day was my people, right? Where in there is anything that says, hey, I'm finding out what's in other departments. I, you try, maybe go lunch with a buddy and say, what's happening over here, right? But these guys, salespeople within their company, they have so many salespeople that are working with other departments within your company, and they can bring that value to you. It's incredible, you know, the amount of information they have versus, you know, and, and it is. And to your point, even if you already have it, you know, the fact that you were, you know, yeah, I may already know that, but thanks for bringing that because someday you're going to bring me something that I won't know. That's right. That's right. I'll give you a quick story. Um, so I had a uh, a rep that went to a large AWS conference and, you know, AWS uh, was rolling out all the different uh, success stories and they brought up, they put up a big slide for one of our accounts and they said, hey, this company, they're going all in with us or they're moving all of their backend database uh, from their campus to us. And it's actually physically, they bring out a truck and load up all the database stuff and then send it off to the cloud. And so I, my rep went back to kind of the mid-level senior manager that ran the networking team that was more the, kind of the infrastructure and said, hey, did you know you guys are going, I, yeah, I didn't know you're going all in with AWS. And the the senior director of VP at the time said, I didn't know either. <laughs> and so it was a, a huge value. And uh, we yes. ended up, we turned that into a deal because yes. we were able to help them with some of their infrastructure. Absolutely. So what if they had assumed, I'm sure the senior director already knows this. No, he didn't. He, yeah. So again, tell he me would have eventually, know, but... me out of trouble. Yeah, but it might be too late, right? You know, you want to be able to react. One of the best proposals I ever uh, was ever presented to me was something that I didn't know. In fact, we were a highly regulated company for a long time. We had set up two operations teams that did exactly the same thing. The regulation went away. 
part of 271, regulation went away of the Telecom Act, and we didn't change, right? So it was in my organization. We had two teams doing the same thing. I had a vendor come in and say, hey, you know what? If you would have one team that did all that, same skills, same all that, save the company a ton of money. And I became a hero. Not something I thought of, but something they thought of, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you view... Um- You've used the term hero a couple of times and uh, somebody else had brought this up. I can't remember if it was a conversation I had during a podcast or maybe it was another podcast that I was listening to. Um, but one of the things I sometimes hear from reps over the years is, hey, uh, yeah, I know I need to get to this executive, but I don't want to go over the person that I'm working with now. I don't want to upset them. You know, what has been some of your experience or maybe some suggestions on effective ways to do that without upsetting, isolating that champion within the organization? Absolutely. No, you just go together. I mean, that is an age old, you know, concern. And and part of that is personality driven, right? Because you have those, we have curmudgeons and it, we had curmudgeons and curmudgeons are ones that you're going to have to go around, right? But I, I would say, you know, y- you can go to that executive. Take your champion with you. It's so important to have champions and mentors in the organization. And back to the hero point, you can make that person a hero to their executive, right? And so the best thing to do is create that good partnership so you can go together. If you got a curmudgeon, you got to go on your own, right? Because the curmudgeon's not going to help you and the curmudgeon's not going to do anything. But the best thing to do is, and there's nothing wrong. I never minded people asking me for my help in getting to that. Can I get an appointment with? Can I can we go together? Absolutely. If you've got something valuable, let's do it. Let's go. Make me a hero, right? And you'll be a hero. We're all heroes. It's it's a good thing. If you have something value, believe it, believe in it, and use your internal context to help get you to those, you know, and and just disregard the curmudgeons. Right. right? right, right. <laughs> well, you know, through the conversation, we actually touched on multiple parts of the sales cycle, sort of that first touch, maintaining touch, um, having the meeting. But let's say we're getting down to maybe the final parts of a uh, an opportunity, a project, a proposal. Um, what were some of the expectations you had with how you wanted a proposal presented to you? Sure. So there are some, you know, I... I I, I liked it very succinct. And, and I'll go back to the material we prepared for our chairman, right? When I prepared things that we were presenting to the chairman from the CEO of AT&T Communications, he had these rules. And, and you got to understand your executive, right? Your rules. But, I, but maybe these will help. Maybe you don't have to be quite this succinct. But it was, if you were going to give information three to five minutes per slide or per whatever you're providing, right? Three to five minutes, you should be able to clear it. If you've got charts and graphs and all that mess, you're not going to clear that in three to five minutes, right? So what that does is that makes you understand your story and get very succinct. The higher you go in the organization, never assume they want more numbers and more detail. That's, well, you'll fall into a bad trap. You've got to make it to where they understand it clearly. I assumed our chairman, I put POTS, in a presentation, plain old telephone service, right? And having been an old engineer, pot service, we were phasing it out. You know, everybody knows what pots is, plain old telephone service. I got in trouble for that. You don't assume anybody knows and you never want to embarrass an executive. So the best thing to do is to bring a very succinct 
amount of information, but be prepared for the five whys, right? So you draw it up a level, but know your detail because, you, you know, be able to answer the question, oh, God, the most uncomfortable, the most uncomfortable meetings I was in with our CEO is when he'd ask a few questions and they couldn't answer even one D, maybe two D. That's highly frustrating for an executive. So, and in fact, if they start asking those questions, you got them, you got them, you know, because they're, then they're interested, then they want to hear it, then they want to know. So I would say the most important thing when you're getting down to that final phase, make it very succinct. Because the other thing I'd like is if you make it easy for me to take it to my executive, wow, then we're heroes, right? Back to the hero. So make it succinct enough so that your mentor within the company can makes it easy for them to. And, you know, you might even make it easy for them to give across those stakeholders. So if I'm sitting in the marketing organization and I sign off on it and my executive signs off on it, help me make it easy to take it to the CFO because we know they're going to be tough and hard or even to procurement. If I have to, you know, procurement's all about the contracts and that, you know, understand that and help help make it easy for me to take it across to my stakeholders. That'll make it successful, too. That's such a such a great point. Um you know, I've seen as many times where, um, you know, we're kind of in that submission stage uh, project is, you know, we've got the stakeholder, we have the champion, they want to go send it up the process or up the chain for approval. And we've given them all this information. Well, sometimes the lower level people, they're not great at, pr- at presenting the why. And so the more you can take a complicated project and bullet down to a one pager, you know, hit on some of those key points. I love bullets. Bullets just simplify it, straightforward. Makes it easy. Yeah. And again, you want to make it easy for that executive. You don't want them confused. You want the message to be very clear. They will buy in if they feel like they have, they understand it, right? Never confuse them. That'd be the worst thing, right? Well, so can you mention the five whys? Are you just generally, you should have five reasons why, or is there some No, no, I'm talking about level of deep. So let's say you you come in and you present something to me and I say, well, um, you know, why or what is it that's behind that, you know, 1%? Well, here's what we looked at. Okay, well, in looking at that, what, what where is this, you know, COGS? Maybe we said 1% of COGS. Okay, well, what was in the COGS that you saw? Well, specifically, we were looking at this aspect of your operations. Oh, I didn't know that aspect of the operation. Yeah. Here and here's the so you're able to go when they ask these questions, you can go deep is what yeah. And we used to say that because um we managed when I was uh VP Global Operations, we were system in we managed some system integrators. IBM was one of them. And IBM is famous for five whys. So <laughs> we were always prepared. Five whys. Yeah. Why is okay. Why is that? Why is that? Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. as we start to wrap it up a little bit, um, so the theme of the of the podcast is from a sales perspective, you first need to learn from the best in order to earn like the best. And then once you earn it, how do you take those harder commission dollars and redeploy? Because you know, there's a lot of people that are in the tech sales role. I mean, you, you like it, but they're not necessarily there because it's what they always wanted to do. It's a vehicle to where if you go out and you're a high performer, you can make great income that helps facilitate some other freedom or some other goal that you have, either for your family, your life, whatever it might be. I'm curious. So you've retired from AT&T. Uh, imagine you're just sitting back on the beach, drinking Mai Tais. You know, what, uh, 
What's next for you? You know, it's funny because when I met Dr. Timmy, he said, no, you really don't want to retire. I said, no, I really do. I'm going to let my money just work. And I, you know, I really do. You know, you and I had a brief conversation. I want to learn from you because I'm just starting to think about this real estate investing thing. And it, part of it came from my dermatologist who said, it's funny. I said, you know, I've got money because I was, when I was one year with AT&T, 401k had just started and they gave us this wheel and you turn the wheel, your salary, turn the wheel for how many years you're going to work. And I thought, wow, I can be a millionaire. That's all I got to do. So, you know, I bought into that and my father was from depression era. So it was all about save. And it was all about, you know, 401k. Now I'm kind of moving into, wow, I want to do something with my money. I want to invest. So it is smart. You know, it's just smart. I've never been, I'm an engineer by degree, so I'm not a natural risk taker, right? So it doesn't come naturally for me, but I'm starting to learn. I live in a active adult, I'm not going to say retirement. I live in an active adult community on a golf course. And we all talk about that. And really, you know, investing is important and having an investment strategy. I learned that too late. So for your listeners who are getting those big commission checks, you know, it is important. And then my dermatologist told me, why don't you invest in real estate? He said, I, I do Airbnbs. I've got one here, one here, one here. We're making all this money. And I thought, well, I've missed the boat. Yeah. So anyway. Well, you know, it's interesting. So I, my, um, my first job with a vendor, I started off at a reseller, but my first job with the vendor was with Lucent technology. So post AT&T split. And this is before the dot-com bubble. And I remember I was getting some great commission checks and at the time, yeah, they would give you, um, for your 401k, if you took your matching in Lucent stock, they would like double the matching. So I was like, well, why would you not do that? And then I had my ESPP and then I had my and so it was all great when it was going up, right? When it was going up. That's the it, thing. And then yeah. it, cra- it cratered and it, you know, it, a lot of, well, as you know, Lucent and AT&T, well, more Lucent back then, you know, they went down all the way down to 50 cents. And so at the same time, I had, uh, I had just bought a duplex and I had a, my uh, future partner ended up being my father-in-law. He had been um, in real estate for 50 plus years and he had owned these buildings in Portland. And I remember watching him, he's still making three, 400 grand a year just off his rental income because he's had these buildings for a long time but a lot of his really well-to-do friends and they'd been cfos ctos ceos but they were all puckering up they weren't going on their international travel because they were they, they were on a fixed income at that point exactly and i, I just so remember you bring up a great point you're right i mean you got to make your money work for you i learned i'm learning that too late but yeah it's, it's absolutely true by the way when i i was with southwestern bell sbc and when we bought at&t some there was a little bit of ego because we kept their name and you know, SBC went away. And I want to say, okay, well, your stock was at two dollars, I think, when we bought you. So let's not have too much of an ego, right? So yeah. anyway, just an aside. But yeah, yeah, well, thank that's, you. you know, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing some of that. Well, so Candy, um, I also like to ask all our guests, you know, what do you do to uh give back? Is there something you're passionate about in terms of charitable yes, efforts? Very. I uh I was on the board for 50, Big Brothers, Big Sisters for 15 years. I'm very um, big proponent of what a mentor can do in these kids' life. These kids, most of them, one or two parents have been incarcerated. Uh, my, I have, I'm on my second little. My first little, we were matched. In fact, she's in her mid-20s. Uh, she lived in the projects. And I would drive my car into there and just pray that, oh, goodness, okay, this is all going to be fine. I'm doing the right thing. 
And it was tough, tough situation. She ended up being the first in her family to graduate college and she now has her master's. And so the little girl I've got now, she's 15. We were matched when she was eight. So we've been, she's a tough one, but she's doing well. She's doing very well. Both parents have uh, unfortunately, tragically have passed away. And so living with an aunt, I just am passionate about the fact that when you mentor these kids, at least they see some kind of role model. It gets them out of the role model they're used to seeing, whether that's an incarcerated parent or drug parent or whatever. And uh, just spending a little bit of time with them makes a difference. So I'm real passionate about that. I, I spend a lot of time uh, supporting that and then financially and then also uh, just being a, a part of being a, a big. Yeah. Well, that's so awesome. It's um. You know, I, I, I've noticed, you know, when you're in that scenario, I, I've had a lot of uh, tenants over the years that were, you know, they're kind of on the edge of just, you know, being able to stay in their unit or even maybe being homeless. And and I've noticed that at times as they've had kids, because I've had some tenants now for like 20 years, watch your kids grow. And, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're taking somebody that they don't have the mindset and they probably don't believe that things could ever be different. And you're probably helping expose them to maybe a different way of thinking, maybe opening up their mind that you could, you're capable of doing anything you want to do. You have the smarts, you have the the capability, um, but a lot of times people don't believe it. And so I think a big part of what you're doing is helping, you know, some some of the uh, the people in that program kind of open up their mind to um, you know, a new way of thinking. And then, you know, then they've got the skills and the, and the, the hustle to go get it done. And Chris, you, you said that so eloquently. That is so true. And that's really it's not hard work. It's just being a presence and being who you are because you've been gifted with being able to get an education and, and have parents that you watch that were successful and they just haven't seen that. So you're the person that they see and it's amazing how they can model themselves after a positive. It, it's, it's, it, it works. And so it's just great to watch. It's great to see. So well, I love it. Well, Katie, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, grab me there. You can message me there, you know, follow me there and uh, would love to hear from you. Would love to help you in any way. If you have a question about dealing with an executive or gosh, I've kind of worried about this. Feel free. I'm happy to offer advice. You know, I'm in the give back stage of my life. And so I, I enjoy this. Yeah. Well, that's very, that's very generous of you. Thank you. Well, Candy, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever. Music